Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Some of my fondest childhood memories were visiting my Grandpa Charlie's cattle ranch in Nowata, Oklahoma. 2,000 acres with hundreds of cattle, several cattle barns, a half dozen ponds for fishing, horses for riding, quail for hunting. It was my regular real-life venture into the American Old West. They legit had three full-time cowboys who lived on the ranch, rode horses, wore the hats and the chaps and the boots with the lasso around the saddle horn. They were the real deal. And in the center of the sprawling property, high on the only hill around, was a towering house built of stone, huge balcony on the front from which you could see for miles, and right in front of the house, a large in-ground swimming pool. And there was this big blue fiberglass slide on the pool that was so much fun, but it'd burn your backside if you rode it too dry. And this was the old days when you could still do stuff, so there was a diving board. Yeah, that used to be a thing, diving boards. And I actually learned how to swim in that pool. And, and when my little brother James was old enough that I thought he needed to learn how to swim, I just threw him in to see what would happen. Got in trouble for that one. But I learned to swim in that pool, and I learned to dive off of that diving board, and I learned how to do backflips and can openers, and I could even do a back one and a half flip that ended in a dive. Wouldn't even begin to try that today, but I could do it back then. But my favorite thing to do was a cannonball, especially in my obnoxious junior high boy years. Because if I could do a cannonball just right, I could splash cold water on my mom and my sister and my aunts as they were sunbathing on the side. And so, as every junior high boy does, I perfected the move by running down the diving board at just the right speed, followed by just the right jump into just the right location in the pool, my body at just the right angle for maximum Splash. And the thing about the cannonball is you can't do it halfway. With a cannonball, it is go hard or go home. You absolutely gotta go all in, like unapologetically, unabashedly, obnoxious junior high boy level energy. You gotta go all in in the deep end. Well, good morning to those of you in the room, to those of you joining us online, those listening in on Way FM. We are glad you're here today as we kick off a new three-week sermon series called Cannonball, Going All In with Christ and His Church. And in this series, we want to unpack the essence of who we are as a church and what we believe, what I believe God calls us to commit ourselves to fully, unabashedly, relentlessly, unapologetically with junior high boy level energy. And here's our big idea for this whole series. 
A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes a great church. And you've probably heard me say that before in the years to come, you're gonna hear me say it again. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes a great church. That's a statement I heard Rick Warren make at a conference many years ago and it has stuck with me and it has shaped me and it has shaped the direction of the churches I've had the privilege of leading and serving. It's going to shape us as a church as well. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes for a great church. And so here's what we're gonna do with this series. Today we're gonna dive deep into the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. Next week we're gonna dive deep into the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. In the final week we'll discover what a great commitment looks like from Matthew chapter 16. And I can just tell you today, I can tell you up front, it looks like a cannonball. A great commitment looks like all in and making waves. It looks like unabashed, relentless, unapologetic, junior high boy level energy directed to living out the great commission and the great commandment as a great church. And today in particular, I wanna challenge you to go all in on the great commission to make waves by making disciples wherever you go. Well, if you have your Bibles, I wanna open them up. Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Here's what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this passage of scripture, these words of Jesus, they were first dubbed the Great Commission by a Dutch missionary in the 1600s. They were later immortalized as a title for this text by another missionary, Hudson Taylor, in the 1800s. And before that, these verses were considered theological, not missional, because in these verses, Jesus mentions the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together. And theologians primarily used these words to emphasize the Trinity, the three-in-one nature of God. Now, since then, missionaries have used these words to tell Christians that they have to go out into all the world to make disciples of all nations, which isn't an inappropriate application, but neither does it capture the fullness of Jesus' words. Because if these verses truly mean what the missionaries say they mean, we must conclude that there are many Christians who are not living out the Great Commission or we must conclude the Great Commission only applies to people who travel the world to share Jesus. Now, the first conclusion might be true, that there's a lot of Christians who are not all in on the Great Commission. But the second conclusion, that the Great Commission only applies to people who go around the world, is certainly not true. 
And so what I would like to do today is I wanna do my best to capture the reality, the, the essence of the Great Commission for our church today. Like, like what does the Great Commission mean for us today in, in our context, in, in your context? What does the Great Commission mean for you? Like if you're an electrician, what does the Great Commission mean for you? Or if you're a beautician, what does the Great Commission mean for you? If you're an accountant or a wealth manager, what does the Great Commission mean for you? If you're a student or a retiree, what does the Great Commission mean for you? If you, you drive a truck or you teach in school, what does the Great Commission mean for you? As, as a local church pastor, what does the Great Commission mean for me? That's what I want us to clarify and to commit to today. And so let's just dive into, let's dive deeply into these words of Jesus together. Matthew 28, 18. Then, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Keyword, first word, then. When is then. Well, this is the very end of Jesus' public ministry and his physical presence on earth. Jesus is around 33 years old. He's lived the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity, as far as we know, as a carpenter in Nazareth. And around the age of 30, Jesus succeeded his cousin, who we know as John the Baptist, as a rabbi who centered his teachings around the kingdom of God. And then, as every rabbi in those days would have done, Jesus chose 12 younger men, probably teenage boys, older teenage boys, to learn this teaching from him. And they were his disciples. He discipled them. We know them as Peter, Andrew, James, John, Judas, and the rest. And so for three years, Jesus invested himself mostly in teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God while sometimes attracting crowds of various sizes and sometimes growing and sometimes declining in popularity among the masses. Now for the first year or so of Jesus' public ministry, he was a rock star. Like thousands came and thousands follow him, but once his teachings became too difficult for them to stomach... He abandoned, they abandoned him. Even though they had been wowed by his previous teachings, even though they had seen his miracles, even though they'd seen him at times speak truth to power, once they realized his message wasn't to their particular tastes, they were out. And so the next couple of years, Jesus and his disciples were more obscure. They were, they were out of the limelight. And during this time, Jesus almost exclusively focused on discipling the twelve under the radar. And under the radar is where they remained until Jesus did something so unexplainable, so obviously supernatural, but so undeniable in raising Lazarus from the dead, the masses started following Jesus again. And if only for a short time, a matter of a few weeks, they followed him in such a large population, perhaps even in the hundreds of thousands the Roman Empire, along with the Jewish government, determined Jesus was a national threat, and they executed him. And you know the rest of the story. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He spent the next 40 days presenting himself alive to the 12 disciples and to the women who had supported and held up his ministry and to all of their families. And at the end of the 40 days, Jesus gathered with his, this small group of maybe 120 people. And just before ascending to heaven, where he will remain until he comes back again, Jesus gave the great commission. 
the verses we are studying today. That's when Jesus came to them with the following words. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And the thing is, perhaps even the problem is, the combination of the words go and of all nations in our English translations makes it look like the Great Commission is something you have to leave your homeland to do. Now, there are certainly some Christians, perhaps many Christians, whom God calls to leave their homeland and go to another land with the Great Commission. For instance, a few months ago, Melissa Hillman joined our administrative staff here at FCC when she and her husband, Gabe, moved here from Bulgaria. But Bulgaria wasn't their homeland. In fact, Gabe actually grew up here in southwest Florida. He grew up here at First Christian Church. And then 15 or so years ago, they felt God leading them to leave their homeland and go to Eastern Europe and share the gospel with the people living there. But then a year ago, they came to believe it was time to come home. So Gabe is no longer a global missionary. He's a high school teacher. He's a coach. Melissa is on our staff. And, and it might make you wonder, are they no longer all in and making waves with the Great Commission because they moved home? The answer is, of course they're all in. And the reason is because our English translations aren't good translations of the Great Commission. I mean, the way it's translated, it looks like there are four commands in the Great Commission. Think about it. There's go into all the world. People get into all the world from Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey the commands of Jesus. Four commands, right? Well, that's not right. There's actually only one command in the Great Commission. And it's not to go, and it's not to baptize, and it's not to teach. If you were to see this in the Greek language, the grammar of the Greek language has only one command, and the only command is to make disciples of all ethnos, of all people, not nations, but people. And so here's a better translation of Matthew 28, 19. While going, make disciples of all people. While going about your life, make disciples of all kinds of people. While you're going about your life, whether you're at home or at work or uh, out working in your front yard or visiting with neighbors or having a party with friends or out running errands, while going about your life, and you're like, really? Make disciples while running errands? I mean, am I supposed to invite the cashier at Walmart to church? I mean, who are we kidding? There are no cashiers at Walmart. 
We are our own cashiers at Walmart these days, but, but sure, invite the cashier, but, but more importantly, you're gonna be discipling your kids while you're out running errands together. You're gonna be discipling your friends while you're out running errands together. While going about your life, make disciples of all kinds of people, ethnos, all kinds of people of your same ethnicity, of different ethnicity, of any and every ethnicity, all kinds of people, your friends, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, all kinds of people. And the thing is, when we start talking about all kinds of people, you don't just favor the people who walk like you or talk like you, spin like you, live like you, eat like you, drink like you, vote like you, or worship like you. Make disciples of all kinds of people. And then you probably ask, well, how do we do that? How do we make disciples of all kinds of people? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus answered, you baptize them and you teach them to obey everything he commanded. Baptize and teach. That's not the command. That's the how-to part of the equation. And baptism represents conversion. Baptism is when you stand before others and you pledge yourselves to God forever through the immersion experience. Baptism is the moment when God promises to you that blessed assurance of eternal salvation, that moment when you can know beyond any doubt that your sins are forgiven and you have received the Holy Spirit because the Bible promises in Acts chapter two, verse 38, that when in faith you are baptized, God will forgive your sins and he will receive your Holy Spirit, not because of the water, but because of Jesus. But it's in baptism that we pledge ourselves to God, kind of like a wedding vow. And it is then that God also pledges to save us. Baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit represents our conversion and then teaching them to obey Jesus' commands represents spiritual formation. That is spiritual growth and development. Baptism represents winning people to Jesus and teaching represents the process of forming people to fully follow Jesus, to follow his ways, his words, his teachings, his attitudes, his actions, his heart, his truth, his mercy, his compassion. Discipleship isn't what happens after conversion. Discipleship is our lifetime journey of deciding to follow Jesus and growing as a follower of Jesus and becoming more like Jesus ourselves while leading others to follow Jesus. You hear us mention it on a regular basis here. Our ABCs of discipleship path at FCC, it empowers us to do discipleship for life. Now, how do we know that discipleship is a for-life journey, a lifelong journey? That is something we're supposed to do until death do us part from this world. And the answer is because Matthew 28, 20 concludes, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, this is what you do until the end of the age, until the end of your age. And this is what the church is to do until the end of the age, until Jesus returns. While going about our lives, we see every person, not as an enemy, not as an adversary, not as an opponent, not as another party, not as another people who speak another language, but as a child of God who we have the privilege of helping connect to God.
That's what we do until the end of our age, and that's what I will do until the end of my life, and that's what this church will do and keep doing as long as it exists. We will fully commit ourselves to the Great Commission, making disciples of all kinds of people as we go forward, and we will go forward. We will not back down. We will not turn around. We will not look away. We will not give up on our mission. We will not give in to any social or political agenda. Our only loyalty will be to Jesus and his kingdom and his kingdom alone. And we together, we will lean into that calling. We will serve sacrificially. We will give generously. We will welcome with unfathomable hospitality. We will love without condition or pretense, mercifully and lavishly. We will not be disrupted, distracted, dismayed, discouraged, or defeated, we will be a great church, not because there's anything great within us, but because we will fully, unabashedly, unreservedly, with junior high boy level energy, commit to our great God and his great commission to make disciples. And we will do this because the one authority Jesus, who is over all heaven and earth, has created us and called us and saved us and commissioned us and empowered us and preserved us and blessed us to do his work, the work of discipleship. Church, we are all in on the Great Commission. And like a kid cannonballing into the pool, we are going to make waves that will have a ripple effect starting right here in Fort Myers and emanating around the world. Well, that brings us to our takeaway for today. In your daily time with God over the next three weeks, I would like for you specifically to pray about what it looks like for you to go full cannonball with Christ and his church, to go all in and to make waves that will create a ripple effect starting right here, right now. How can you better commit or better leverage your time and your talent and treasure to the work that God is doing here? And there are needs all around us. And there are needs inside of our church. There are needs outside of the church. You know, within the church, we're get praying for God to provide us with the resources necessary to continue to make an impact on our community. And I know that our church, and that is the people, not the building, the people of our church, so many have taken such a big hit with the hurricane. And many of them can't serve like they were serving before because they have so many more things to take care of at home. Many of them can't give like they were giving before either. And we wanna bless them and we wanna serve them and we wanna give to them even as they have so faithfully done for us. And so I just wonder who will step into their shoes who will give that extra hour or that extra dollar in their place? You know, outside the church, we have a community that now more than ever is desperate for hope. How can we lean into that desperation? How can we help meet their needs? You know, you've heard of dope dealers in our community. We need some hope dealers in our community. And so I wonder who will be a hope dealer by sharing your energy and your resources with people in your neighborhood or maybe in another neighborhood that doesn't have the resources of your neighborhood. See, I believe this season 
in the aftermath of the hurricane we shall not name, I truly believe this season can be our finest hour as a church because we have more opportunities than ever before to go all in and to make waves for Jesus if we will cannonball it. Let's pray. Father God, help us to go all in and to make waves that create a ripple effect, filling our community with the hope of Jesus. Help us to be hope dealers. Help us to bring the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Lord, inspire us and even convict us if necessary to leverage more than ever to contribute our time and our talent and our treasure to your work here in our community. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.